The Breakdown Politics With Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies Telling you what you need to know regarding politics Breaking it down Politics Welcome to another episode of Politrix with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies. Merck, do your thing. All right. I just want to let y'all know I got the timer on. I'm trying to be respectful of time <laughs> and not ramble on. So if you hear the alarm go off, it's because I lost track of time, but I'm going to try to get everything in. I was going to do the whole show about the whole GameStop fiasco, but so many things have happened over the last couple of days. I want to try to get as much of it in as possible you know, before we, uh, you know, before we wrap up. So I do want to start with the Democrats. And in particular, I'm going to start with Kamala Harris because she did something that impressed me. Am I all of a sudden a Kamala Harris fan? Am I going to be part of the Bayhive or whatever the hell they call themselves? No, that's Beyonce's people. The K-Hive is the name they co-opted from Beyonce. So am I going to be part of the K-Hive and do the little dance that Kamala does? No, absolutely not. But she did something that impressed me. Right now, the Democrats have a very slim margin in the Senate. So with the wins for John Ossoff and, and Raphael Warnock, they have 50 seats. Now, because they have control, Kamala Harris gets to be the tiebreaker, right? So for anything that doesn't need uh, that, you know, that's proof from the filibuster, they could pass with 50 votes and then Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker, right? Now, one thing they could do is what's called reconciliation, and it's for budgetary stuff. They don't need to worry about a filibuster so long as they have all 50 votes for the, for the Democrats. There's two holdouts that are basically, and, and I joked about it before, like being a conservative Democrat is like being a vegan vampire. Like it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like, why are you even here? How, how have you survived all this time? So Joe Manchin out of West Virginia, Kristen Cinema out of uh, Arizona. So what Kamala Harris did that impressed me is that she went to West Virginia and she went to Arizona and she was doing interviews on local television and she was speaking directly to Joe Manchin's people, right? About basically about uh, the need to pass the stimulus package. And I hate the fact that they call it a stimulus package, it's survival payments, okay? A stimulus package is something that you do when everybody's doing okay, but the economy is kind of sluggish. So you give people a stimulus package to get things going. This is survival payments. This is for people who are basically three, four, five months behind their rent, buried in medical bills. You know, their kids are starving, they're living in their cars, they need something to get some relief. Now, should, now, Bernie Sanders wants these to be retroactive for the past year, but we're dealing with, with, with a rough crowd here, right? I agree with Bernie. These should be retroactive payments, but let's just get one, let's just get one thing done at a time, right? So Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are like, well, what about the deficit, you know? So Kamala Harris going after them is good, and you know, and, and Joe Manchin was pissed, pissed. The Kamala Harris bypassed him and went, went directly to his people. You know why it impresses me? Because if I was a politician, that's exactly what I would do. Because that's the only way you get pressure on these people. Because if you're beholden to your donors, who is more important than your donors? The people who are voting for you. Because, yeah, the donors could pour all this money into an election. But if it can't sway the people, then it's just money for nothing if you get the people on the right track. And that's what Kamala is trying to do. And Manchin is feeling the pressure. And this just popped up on my feed. I didn't get a chance to watch the videos or read the articles, but there's a rumor. I'm calling it a rumor only because I didn't get a chance to read the articles. I don't know how true it is. But uh, a couple of former staffers for AOC are planning on primarying Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that, you know, and if there's, if there's any truth to it or any, if it's a, you know, strong indicator, I'll probably talk about it on Saturday. 
But the fact that they're playing hardball with these people is exactly what I wanted to see for the last, well, I don't know, 20 years. You got to get these people in line because this is not about, you know, the deficit. Who gives a shit about the deficit? I'm sorry. Were we going to pay off that that $16 trillion deficit next, next year? If we just show a little discipline? No, we're already screwed. We're not paying that money back. <laughs> like I said before, if you owe 600 bucks and then you do something and now you owe like $3,000, right? That's really bad, but you can work out of that. I'm sorry, if you owe $26 trillion and now you owe $35 trillion, who gives a shit? You gonna pay, you, you will pay back the 26 trillion, but not the 35? Get the fuck out of here with that deficit horse shit. We're already, we're already screwed. We may as well be screwed in the, you know, in the spirit of helping people because that money's just going to go right back into the economy anyway. So uh, basically another thing that Democrats did that impressed me today, which I, I didn't think I'd say that twice in the same show is they're going to go ahead with the reconciliation for the survival payments because the Democrats came up with a $1.9 trillion plan, which is really, really inadequate. But hey, you know, it's better than what the Republicans wanted. So the Republicans were whining and bitching and crying. And they were like, well, what about bipartisanship? You're just trying to just do stuff without us. What about us? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Sorry, that's an old reference. I'm old. So, um, we're just like, okay, uh, fine. What do you bring into the table? They're like, well, instead of $1.9 trillion, why don't we just do $600 billion? And then basically just means test the money and then just not do all the important stuff like give money to schools and stuff like that. How about that, huh? 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 Yeah, okay, whatever. So Joe Biden actually met with the Republicans who came up with that horseshit plan and now Nancy Pelosi today was talking about, yeah, we're just gonna go ahead with reconciliation to get the $1.9 trillion plan passed. And Joe Manchin was like, well, maybe the Republicans can come in and do something with the final plan, huh? Yeah, Joe, no, no. Because all they wanna do is take away from working people and give it to the rich. So if the rich can't wet their beaks, they have no, they don't really care about us. So why would you want them involved in that plan? When all when when they came up with what? I'm sorry, one third of what we were gonna put out and talking about, yeah, bipartisanship. Get the fuck out of here. We're not, we're not doing that. So if they go through and pass the $1.9 trillion package to reconciliation, I will we I'll be willing to admit, hey, you know what? I was wrong about democratic leadership. They're actually showing some spine. And like I said, I mean, for all the negativity I've had about the Democrats through this whole process, especially democratic leadership, I'm just waiting to be proven wrong. I'm not gonna be like, yeah, I was right. They are scumbags. I wanna be proven wrong. And so far they're on the right path. So let's see how that goes. Now, speaking of somebody who's on the, who's on the wrong path, and I feel bad about this part, Blue, because I just got an order from Amazon, maybe, what time is it? Seven, uh, quarter after seven. I got an order from Amazon maybe uh, two hours ago, two, three hours ago. I got a grocery order from Amazon. They do, and, and then, you know, this uh, Amazon Fresh, you order your groceries and then you pick a time. And if you do a two hour time period, if you order more than $35 worth of stuff, then delivery is free, but you could still give the people a tip, right? Now you still gotta pay for the groceries, of course, but you don't gotta pay for delivery. So if you do like a one hour delivery window, you gotta pay for uh, for getting it there in an hour, or at least in that one hour time frame. But I do two hours. So if I order more than $35 worth of stuff, then, it's, then the delivery charge is free, but you can still tip the, the drivers. And I always tip the drivers because I live on the second floor and sometimes I order cases of water and they had to lug that water up the steps. Yeah, I'm, I'd be more than happy to give these guys a tip. Here's what they found out. 
that Amazon for years have been taking the tips and stealing them. So they've stolen more than $65 million worth of tips from drivers. Because here's the thing, they pay the drivers really well. At least I think it's really well. I don't know what, what drivers are supposed to get, but they but depending on the service, they pay the drivers between $18 and $25 an hour, which is really good, right? But here's the thing. They're taking that tip money and they're using it to supplement the wages. So in other words, if I tip, if I say, okay, well, I'm ordering three cases of water. They got to lug that water up the steps. The base tip is like five bucks if you leave it alone. But I decide, you know what? They're lugging three cases of water up the steps. It's raining. I'm going to tip them $10, right? What they're doing is they're taking that $10 and they're just putting it toward their base salary and then telling them, oh, no, there wasn't any tips. These guys didn't tip you, but we paid you. <laughs> so they're using it to supplement the wages. So that money was supposed to go in their pocket. So in other words, they're getting $18 an hour and I tip them, they're supposed to get that $18 an hour plus my $10 tip. They're not getting the $10 tip because they're taking it and making it part of their wages. So they've stolen more than $65 million worth of tips from these drivers over the years. So now I wanna say, I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing because that came on my desk kind of late. Uh, well, at least I read it kind of late. I think the story is a couple of days old, but uh, I think there's a class action lawsuit against that. And then I guess what kind of clouded it was the fact that Jeff Bezos is stepping down as CEO of Amazon. Now, this has nothing to do with the tips thing, as far as we know. He's been doing this for over 20 years. So he's taking a, a lower, less intensive position. He's putting one of his buddies as CEO, and he's probably just on his way to retirement. Now, when you figure the fact that Amazon has stolen $65 million worth of tips from their drivers and the fact that as of yesterday, Jeff Bezos is worth $192 billion, not $192 million, billion would it be, $192 billion. And depending on how the stocks go, he trades number one between him and Elon Musk. They go back and forth as number one. Bill Gates is, number, is like a solid number three as far as the richest men in the world. You figure Vladimir Putin has a $1 billion, his, he has a palace that's worth like $1.3 billion. And Jeff Bezos is so much richer than that guy. <laughs> like noticeably richer than Vladimir Putin who has a $1.3 billion palace. So the fact that they need to steal money from their workers so he can, so he himself can have $192 billion. Like, how is that not enough? Like, if I was hustling for money, when I say hustling, like working hard, right? Like, let's say, um, say I'm a banker, just gonna make some, something up out of thin air. And I do all these deals, I do these deals, I do these deals. And next thing you know, I'm worth a billion dollars. Not a billion dollars in I guess, stocks and property, but I'm talking about I have a billion dollars in the bank where like if I wrote you a check for $10 million, you are just now worth $10 million, like that kind of rich. My job is done. I don't have to work anymore. I'm worth a billion. I have a billion dollars in the bank, not in stocks, not in property, but in the bank. I'm done. I don't have to work anymore. That's money that unless my kids get addicted to super ultra mega crack, uh, that's money that's gonna last generations and generations. So what do I need to work for? What do I need to hustle for? I've got what I wanted, but people like Jeff Bezos, it's a disease for them. They can never ever stop. They always have to keep being richer and richer and hoarding the money and the money just sits in their accounts and just goes nowhere the point where they have to steal from the actual workers who are making them rich. So I guess Jeff Bezos figures that he's a, a point of hatred and maybe if he's not CEO, then the Biden administration, if they actually sow some extra spine, won't break up Amazon. The way they're looking to break up Google and Facebook, 
We'll see what happens. Do I think that Joe Biden himself would do that? No, but do I think that the people who, uh, who, who we appoint might try to break away and do something about it? We'll have to wait and see. And one other thing that made me laugh uh, real, real quick, uh, Donald Trump's lawyers pretty much quit on him. He, he has to go for his impeachment trial in about two weeks and his lawyers pretty much quit. I think he has a couple of lawyers that joined on, right? But most of his legal team is like out for two reasons that they're out. Number one, they know they're not gonna get paid. You figure Donald Trump made tens of millions of dollars grifting his people, talking about the MAGA folks, because they were just like, yeah, you know, I need this for my legal defense fund. So I think he got, I forgot how much money he got, but it was a lot of money like tens of millions of dollars. So now his lawyer's like, well, we need like a $1 million retainer. And he didn't want to pay a $1 million retainer. He has tens of millions of dollars in his fund and didn't want to pay a $1 million retainer. And his lawyers were just like, you know what? Peace. You're on your own. The rest of the lawyers quit because, they, and I forgot who mentioned this today. I was eating lunch and I was watching some stuff and they were just like, you know, Donald Trump's, some of their lawyers think that, you know what? We can reason with Donald Trump. He's not as crazy as he seems. And then they find out, oh yeah, he is batshit insane. Because their strategy is, hey, let's just stick to this whole thing being unconstitutional. And because the only jury that you really have to worry about, this is not about a court of public opinion, okay? This is not like a regular jury. You have to, only people you have to convince is, you only have to convince the Democratic side of the Senate because they're already going to vote against you. All you got to do is convince enough Republicans where you don't have two thirds of the Senate voting against you. That's all you got to do. So if they go, their strategy is the constitutionality of it, which there's, no, there's nothing against it, but they're just going to argue that. Then basically the Republicans in the Senate could just say, yeah, we can go with that and not seem like bootlicking sycophants. But Donald Trump wants to go in and talk about how the election was stolen from him. And his lawyers are like, no, because if you talk about that, there's a chance that enough Republicans will not want to be involved in that and vote against you. But he doesn't care. And then those lawyers were just like, yeah, I'm out. So between not getting paid and between Donald Trump not going with the flow, all his lawyers are just like, peace. But he has a couple left. And one of them was basically like, they want to do the trial with no evidence, meaning the all the video from the Capitol insurrection, they just don't want to, they don't want to show it in court. And I joked about that on Facebook. That's because he was like, well, we, you know, we don't want to show this and get people upset because you know, this is a time for healing. Why is it that the people who caused the hurt are the ones who are talking about we need healing? That'd be like if I walked up and just slashed someone across the face with a box cutter and they had it on video and they just walk up for no reason, just yeah, right across the face. And then I just run away laughing. <laughs> and then my lawyer is like, well, we don't need to show that video in court. This is the time for healing. Just let them just let that person heal. And let's get past this as a country together, arm in arm, walking down the street. And they're like, but what about the dude who just slashed this person's face for no reason? You know, I mean, these Republicans are just blatantly, they're like the, the world's, either the world's best, they're the world's worst liars or the world's best gaslighters. I haven't figured out what they are yet. But anyway, uh, enough about all that stuff. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of the day, okay? So there is a, a video series on uh, on Facebook, not Facebook, I'm sorry, on YouTube called Plain Bagel. And they basically just explain uh, all this uh, financial stuff in plain terms, hence the name Plain Bagel. I'm not going to go over the whole thing about shorting stocks, I suggest I just suggest you find that uh, that 
YouTube channel and watch the video yourself. I'm gonna go over a little bit of it, right? Blue, do you ever, did you ever watch Trading Places? Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd? I did in the mid eighties. Yeah. Did you, did you uh, get that final scene with the stocks? Break it down. It's been over 25 years since I saw it. Okay. And I've talked about it on, on an earlier show a while back, but I want to talk about it again because it's going to come into play. And I'm going to tell you the abridged version of it. Okay. If you remember in the movie, the Duke brothers, who are the villains of the movie, they paid a guy named Clarence Beeks to get a, a crop report about the oranges in Florida, right? And they were going to have this information before anybody else. But Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, they intercept their report and they give the Dukes a fake report, right? So they basically, the Dukes get a report that says that the frost has damaged the orange crop, right? So now the Dukes are like, hey, oranges are gonna be at a premium because basically um, the crops are damaged and no one knows this but us. So he tells his brokers, hey, buy all the oranges you can. Don't worry about the price. Even if the price keeps going up, just keep buying. And then everybody sees the Dukes buying oranges and they're like, yo, the Dukes know something. Let's just buy oranges too. Now, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd know that the crops are fine. So during the buying frenzy, Dan Aykroyd says something that you could barely hear, but what he says is, um, sell 30 April $1.47, okay? So the 30 refers to 30 contracts and each contract is worth millions of pounds of oranges. So he's saying that I wanna sell millions of pounds of oranges in April, because it's January at that point in time, in April for $1.47 a pound. Now, all these people are like, yo, uh, if the Dukes are right, orange is going to be way worth way more than $1.47 a pound. So they're buying all this stuff from Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, right? But then the crop report comes on, and then they say, well, the crops are, because at that point, it, the price was going up. It was like uh, like $2.40 a pound. And then the crop report came out and then they said the oranges are fine. So now these people are sitting on all these stocks that are just way overpriced and the price is about to go down. So they just sell, they sell, they sell. They dump all those stocks that they're about to lose money on. And the price goes down to 29 cents a pound. So basically what happens is they, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd have contracts to sell millions of pounds of oranges that they bought for like 29 cents a pound and have sold for $1.47 a pound. The Dukes made the opposite bet. They bought high and then the price bottomed out. Eddie Murphy and them bought low and they sold high. So actually, and here's, here's the funny part. This is from the article from NPR. They said that using insider information from the government actually did not become illegal until 2010, until the financial overhaul. So back then when they made that movie, it was unethical, but it wasn't illegal. Kind of like using steroids in baseball back then. So now it's, uh, now it's illegal and they call it the Eddie Murphy rule because of the movie Trading Places, okay? But the reason why I wanted to bring that back up is the whole matter of inside information. Let me put it to you like this, Blue. I had a whole big analogy set up and uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna do it because it's gonna take too much time. You remember that movie, The Big Short? Have you ever seen it? That movie doesn't ring a bell. I do remember the commercial trailer for it, but I've never seen it. Watch it when you get a chance. It's an excellent movie. It's about the, uh, the 2008 financial crisis. And it's basically about how certain individuals saw what was happening and made money off of it, right? So I'm gonna concentrate on Christian Bale's character in that movie. His name is Michael Burry. He's a real person. He did this for real. He was kind of a savant with these stocks. He, runs, he ran a hedge fund. 
And he saw that the housing market was about to fail. Okay. The short version of it is, is that they were making these funds out of mortgages, right? Triple A mortgages, boring, plain, simple 30 year mortgages, right? And because they were like, who doesn't pay their mortgage, right? So they take bundle thousands of these mortgages into a fund and they use it to pretty much power pensions, right? They did this back in the uh, back in the late 70s. But the problem is there's only a finite amount of these mortgages to go around. So they a lot of these funds had a crunchy outer shell of AAA mortgages and all the rest were filled with subprime crap. So we're talking about double A's, A's, triple B's, and double B's. So we're talking of double B's are like somebody with a 550 credit rating buying a four bedroom house. Okay. And there was a part in the movie where Steve Carell's character was going around trying to find out if there was a housing bubble and they talked to these, uh, these mortgage brokers and they were literally like, yeah, um, we sell the immigrants and we sell the strippers because strippers always have cash, they're cash rich. And they basically, when they fill these things out, like I, you know, I work in insurance. And if you turned in an insurance application without a, uh, with, with the income not in there, they're gonna reject it. But they were pushing these applications through, they were leaving the income part blank because they just wanted the commission. So they're selling to anybody who will buy for the commission. So these funds are filled with subprime crap and the banks didn't know about it. So what Michael Burry did, back to Christian Bale's character, he went to every bank that would listen to him. And he said, listen, I wanna make, uh, do what's called a credit default swap, okay? Layman's terms, there's all these loans. I wanna start an insurance policy against all these mortgage loans, right? If these mortgages fail, you have to pay me. But so long as these loans, so long as these loans are still solvent, I pay you premiums. So we're talking millions of dollars a month that they're paying in premiums. So it's basically just like taking out an insurance policy on a complete and total stranger. If that stranger dies, you get paid. Not the stranger, you. They used to call them dead peasant policies where stores like bank, you know, companies like Bank of America, Walmart, they would literally take out insurance policies on their workers. And if the workers die, the company gets the money. The workers get nothing. They talked about it in one of Michael Moore's movies and uh, Walmart did this to a family. Uh, the guy, his, he, uh, he and his wife both worked for Walmart. His wife died and they accidentally sent the paperwork to their family instead of to Walmart. So that's how they knew Walmart had a insurance policy on his wife, but they don't see a penny of it. It all goes to them. So Michael Burry basically bet on the housing market to fail. And because these banks had no clue what was going on, they were like, yo, if this dude wants to give us million, tens of millions of dollars a month to bet against a housing market that's not going anywhere, we'll take his money. So he went to Bank of America, he went to he went to every bank that would sit down and listen to him. And he bought millions of credit default swaps. Now, the reason why the banks didn't know what was going on is because the people that rate these loans, like S&P and Moody's, are in competition with each other. So if they won't rate it, someone else is going to rate it. So they're just they're just rubber stamping all these loans as AAA, even though they were filled with subprime crap. And when the housing market collapsed, Michael Burry made billions of dollars for his hedge fund. Billions would be, I think like 17, 19 billion dollars that he made off those credit default swaps. So basically he is betting on an industry to fail, to make money off of it. There's a reason why I'm, I'm mentioning that, okay? So for this example, Blue, and this is an example from, uh, from Plain Bagel. I'm just gonna do the abridged version of it. 
you are investor A, I'm investor B, okay? You as investor A are basically uh, buying regular stocks, okay? Which is called uh, long stocks, okay? I'm doing, I'm, I'm gonna play the scumbag in this analogy and I'm gonna do the, the short position, okay? So as the long position, company X has stocks, they are uh, $10 a share, right? So you're gonna buy a thousand shares of this stock for $10,000, okay? So you've invested $10,000 and you have a thousand shares of this stock. I'm gonna short this company for 10,000 shares of stock, right? So how shorting works is this. I go to a brokerage and I borrow $10,000 worth of stocks and I sell the stocks, right? Now, the thing is, and then, uh, well, and here's the thing, I sell the stocks, right? Now I'm doing this for stocks that I feel are gonna go down. You're going into, stock, in, into these stocks, you're in the long position. So what you want is you want this company to succeed and you want the stocks to gain value. So if they gain value, then you could sell them at a higher price than what you bought them for. Buy low, sell high, right? My thing is I want this company to fail and I feel that they're gonna fail. So I'm gonna short these stocks. So I borrowed the, I borrowed the money from the, uh, the stocks from the brokerage, I sell them, right? When the stock goes down, I buy them back at a lower price and then I give them back to the brokerage and I pocket the difference, which is called shorting a stock, okay? Here's the thing, okay? Here's the part where, which is why these hedge fund douchebags lost all this money. Let's just say, Blue, you buy these stocks and let's just say, you know what? Let's say not, let's not do company, let's do GameStop, right? Let's say you buy these stocks for $10,000 and all of a sudden GameStop goes out of business, right? The stocks tank, they're worth nothing. You lose your investment. So you lose $10,000. You put $10,000 worth of stock in, the stocks tank, they're at zero, you lose $10,000. For me, in the short position, right? Let's say GameStop uh, stocks rise, right? Because if they tank and they go to zero, I'm super rich now, right? But if the stocks uh, go up in price, my potential for loss is infinity. Now, infinity seems like hyperbole. It's really a theory because so long as the stocks go up in price, I continue to lose money because my bet is that this company is going to fail. I'm trying to short the stock, right? So what happened to these hedge fund managers is GameStop, I think at that point when they were buying the stock, I think it was worth like, I don't know, 12, 13, $14 a share. And then uh, the groups on Reddit, you know, the groups, they were rallying to buy a bunch of the stock. And when they did, it drove the price up. So at one point that stock was worth like $300 a share. So it went from like $17 a share to like $300, $400 a share. So all these guys who bet all this money on this company to fail, when those stocks went up, they got soaked. At one, at one day, their losses were at a potential $5 billion. The next day, it was, at a it was at $19 billion. Now, why the losses, okay? Now, or why short stocks in the first place, right? You short stocks in the first place because your investment is not the same, okay? So you invested your money in, this, uh, in these stocks, right? You invested $10,000. It's a straight $10,000. For me, I didn't invest $10,000. I invested $5,000. Why $5,000? Because a brokerage is not gonna just say, here, here's my stocks, sell them and do what you want with them. For the brokerage to lend me those stocks, I have to make an account and put 50% of that stock's worth in that account. So it's still my money, but it's collateral against those stocks. So basically it's so that I could buy back those stocks, right? if something happens. And then that account is called a margin, right? 
So if you've ever heard the term uh, margin call, it's let's just say those stocks go up by like $5 a share, right? And now uh, that money in the account is not enough to buy back the stocks. They're going to do what's called a margin call. And they're like, hey, you got to put more money in this account so that you can buy back those stocks. So now I got to dump another 30% in that account to buy back the stocks. So it is high risk, but high reward. Because if I make money off those stocks, I've only put in half the investment and I'm getting way more reward than what I put in. But if those stocks go up in price, then, and I can't buy those stocks back, I got to keep paying <laughs> and keep paying and keep paying and keep paying unless one of two things happens, right? Basically, when you do this, uh, it's not for an infinite period of time. There's a timer on this, right? So let's just say I, the timer is 30 days. So I could either keep losing for 30 days or the brokerage may have mercy on me and allow me to just buy the stocks back. But to buy the stocks back, I need to have the money to buy the stocks back. I've only put in 50% of the, of the worth. And the margin call is only going to be like maybe 25, 30%. So I got to come up with the rest of the money to buy those stocks back, or I continue to bleed out of my nose and mouth and eyes and ears and every orifice in my body until the price stops going up. That's what happened to these hedge fund managers. They were trying to short, not just GameStop, but AMC uh, and a few other companies, they were trying to short them. And there's a, a subreddit group called uh, Wall Street Bets. And they got together and they rallied to buy this stock. And the stock shot up and these hedge fund managers lost their shirts. Billions of dollars they lost from these hedge, from these hedge funds. One of the main hedge funds who, uh, who was involved in it, they lost 50% of their fund which is astronomical because these funds are worth billions of dollars and they lost 50% of their worth. Now, more than likely, they're going to get bought out by a, a bigger hedge fund. So they're going to be fine. But the real horror for them is that now the unwashed masses are in the stock game. And the unwashed masses hate these motherfuckers because they're shorting companies. Because here's the thing. Think of it like private prisons, right? You're making a prison on a model that the more prisoners you have, then the more money you make. So how do you keep making money? Keep putting people in prison, right? If you're gonna short a stock and you want that stock to go down in value, what are you gonna do? You're going to get on TV. You're going to get on shows like uh, Mad, Mo like Mad Money with Jim Cramer. You're going to get on MSNBC, on CNBC and Fox Business, and you're going to talk shit about these stocks. Now, here's the thing about GameStop. GameStop was dying on its own. GameStop didn't need help to die. Because, I mean, I bought my Xbox. I bought mine at, I bought mine at Target. You know? I was going to order from Amazon, but I wanted, to, I wanted to have it in my hand. So I bought mine from Target. People don't buy games anymore. And you, can get all, and you don't have to buy the games in physical copy anymore. You get them digitally. Yeah, which is, which is why when I bought my Xbox, I bought a Series S with S's and Sam because I was like, why, why do I need a disk drive? I'm not going to buy physical copies anymore. I'm just going to, I'm just going to download them. Everybody got faster internet now. So before we're downloading the game would take like four or five hours. Now it only takes about 45 minutes to download a game. And that, and that's through Wi-Fi. Not even, not even from, if I had, a, if I had it hardlined, it'd probably only take 10 minutes. So times are changing. You know, all these stores go the way of the dinosaur, you know? Blockbuster's gone. Hollywood Video's gone. You know, the same way Holly, the same way Blockbuster killed all the local video stores, they eventually died out. They didn't need help dying out. 
AMC, no one goes to the movies anymore because nobody wants to get sick. I just found out that my brother's entire family is sick from COVID. The entire family is nine people in that household. They're all sick from COVID. You think they want to go to the fucking movies? And even before they got sick? No. So these are industries that were going to die on their own anyway. But these hedge fund managers are like, well, if they're going to die, let's hasten their demise and make money off of it. So now they know every time they try and short a stock, they know that these people are going to be out there just waiting, waiting to screw them over. And every time they try and short a stock, they're going to rally and make that stock go up and make them lose their pants and shirt and their dignity. <laughs> they're gonna, basically, they're going to go from, you know, eating uh, Cherry's Jubilee and shrimp cocktail in a fancy restaurant to giving hand jobs behind a dumpster. So they're basically, they're terrified. Now, some are terrified for that reason. Some are terrified. I mean, they just don't like, I mean, you figure, I watched that, uh, that whole thing about the fire festival, right? How did all these rich idiots get duped into the fire festival? Because they were promised something exclusive that nobody else was going to get. Always oh, there's a, a super exclusive private party in the Bahamas, you know, despite the fact that people were putting up videos every day that this was gonna be some bullshit. They just wanted the exclusive thing, you know, to be exclusive from everybody else. What Kanye West say in that song? I, I went and spent 400 bucks on this just so I could say, man, you ain't up on this. To have something that people don't have. So all these cats in the stock market, you know, they had their own thing. And now they're on, on CNBC and MSNBC and Fox Business crying one dude was was literally like you don't know anything about the stock market oh they knew enough to screw you over though right but he was like well maybe that time would be better spent you know uh building relationships building romantic entanglements building you know going outside like he's trying to shame people into not uh going into the stock market because that's their thing George Carlin had a joke when he was talking about, he said, who's the only white people that we ever bombed? He said, the Germans. And that's because they were trying to muscle in on, on our racket. They were, trying to, they were trying to rule the world. And they were like, nah, motherfuckers, that's our job. You know? I have a friend who actually made some money. And I didn't ask how much money she made, but she actually bought and sold GameStop, uh, GameStop stock and made a nice chunk of change off of it. You know, so the Robinhood app actually where a lot of people made those trades is supposed to be a free app. And I'm going to talk more about that on Saturday because there's a lot more to the Robinhood app than I thought. I was going to talk about it today, but I figure, you know what? I want to talk more about it on Saturday when I have a little bit more time because there was a lot more shady shit with that Robinhood app than I'd originally thought. You know, but I will say this about short selling, okay? I mean, it's morally wrong, but every place I look to do research on the short selling, like I looked on Investopedia, and Investopedia, before they even tell you what short selling is, they had a whole paragraph about be careful with short selling <laughs> because you need to be experienced to even venture into that because you could lose a lot of money. Like I said, in, in, in the example where blue is the, in a long position, he'll only lose what he put in. If, and that's if the stocks go to zero. If the stocks went down from $10 to $5 a share, he would lose half his investment, but he could still cash out for $5,000. But if you are a short seller and those stocks go up and up and up, you can lose an infinite amount of money, provided the stocks continue to go up. So it's high risk, but also high reward. But the main thing is a high risk. <laughs> so, but I will say this, it, it's living proof that the system is rigged. And that's why people like normal folks don't even look at the stock market. 
because they figure it's all bullshit. It's all speculation. It's all just rigged rules meant to make the rich richer and make the poor poorer. And that's why they use the stock market as an indication of uh, how well the country's doing when only like, I mean, I think like 50% of the country owns stocks, but only 10% have like uh, huge portfolios of stocks that they, that they buy and sell. So it, it, it's basically, it pulled the pants down on the stock market and just showed you how horrible and rigged that they are. So we'll see if the Biden administration does something about it. We'll see if more rules come up. I sure hope so, but I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Mr. Blue, what are your final thoughts tonight? Uh, stay on their asses, man. Make sure your representatives do what they're supposed to do. Text, email, Instagram, tweet. They really hate tweets, so get up on that. Yeah. Piggybacking, piggybacking off what Mr. Blue said, uh, they may not read all those emails and listen to all those messages talking about your representatives, but they have people that do. And they have people that tell them, hey, we've been getting a lot of calls about X. We've been getting a lot of... of uh, tweets about why, you know what I mean? So it's not wasted. Definitely call your congressman, write your congressman, tweet at your congressman. Somebody's reading it, trust me, because that's how they, that's how they gauge the temperature of what's going on. Now, even if even someone like Joe Manchin who's beholden to his, uh, his donors, like he said, um, you got to worry about election day. Donors can, can donate money, but they can only vote once. And there's way more registered voters than there are donors by a lot. So definitely reach out to them and let them know what's on your mind. Be respectful because I'm pretty sure if you curse or make threats, they're just gonna skip past you. So just be respectful, be articulate and just let them know how you feel. So Mr. Blue, play us off, sir. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Urban Breakdown podcast featuring hit shows such as Politics, the Mercer Prescott and his band of places, Cronies, and 360 Degrees. Available on all streaming podcast apps. All of them. <laughs>